Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. If you're new here today, my name's Vance Pittman. I've always wanted to do that. I saw somebody do it one time, and I've always wanted to say that. So my name's Vance, and no, kidding. My name's Tom. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. We're glad that you came to be with us today. Um, I think we have a unique church. Some of you think more unique than others think about uniqueness. Uh, we're, we're a unique fellowship. We love each other. I believe that. And um, am I the only one? Just me and you? Okay. Praise the Lord. Y'all got to wake up. Um, I was sitting back in the back a few weeks ago, about a month ago, uh, actually standing in my perch back there where I stand, and uh, the welcome time came. Pastor Vance welcomed everybody, asked us to go around and, you know, just kind of receive people, shake hands, say hello. Um, and when he did that, I was just, I don't know, something hit me, because I've seen that. I've been here for over four years now, so I've seen that more than 200 times, if you do the math, uh, actually times three, so 600 times. Um, and I don't know, something about that day just hit me. I, I watched people here at the front, uh, greet each other, shake hands, smile, hug. Um, it was awesome. It just looked like family. It looked like people who wanted to be together. It looked like people had friends and it was just an incredible time. And this thought hit me. Everybody doesn't live like that. Like there are people who are your neighbors, who you work with, who you go to school with, that they don't know they need that, but they do need that. And the thing that gives you that really is Christ, and I'm not overstating that. I know that there are happy people who don't know Christ, but they really don't know true happiness and true freedom and true joy. And then this other thought hit me as I was thinking through that about why they, I mean, I just watched us having such a good time, and I thought, man... Don't the other two million people in Las Vegas need this? And why don't they have it? And then it made me ask myself this question that I want us to wrestle with today. And um, I want to challenge you with, as I've been challenged with it. And as we go into the new year, just had an awesome, awesome year, but we're going into a new year. As we go into this new year, I just want to challenge you with this question. In 2014, or for that matter, ever... Have you ever shared your faith with somebody and seen them come to faith in Him? Have you ever shared your faith and had them surrender their life to Christ? There was a time when I asked myself that question. I'd, I'd never led anybody to the Lord. I'd, I'd never been part of the process. I'd never let God live through me and let the gospel be used through me. As I was looking at us shaking hands, all these thoughts are going through my mind, and I thought, what if? 
What if every believer in this sanctuary today shared their faith just one time this year and that person gave their life to Christ? How different would our church be? But even better, how bitty would, bitty, how better would our world be? Like we want Las Vegas to be different, but we really want them to change their behavior and not change the relationship. And there is no behavioral change that's real without relationship change. You see, this may sound arrogant, and if you're new here today, remember my name's Vance. (laughs) Or Travis, or Brian, or whoever you want to call me. Call me Scott. (laughs) We have the answer. I know how arrogant that sounds if you're new, if you don't know Christ, if this God thing you're still trying to figure out. I know that sounds arrogant, and and I don't mean for it to sound like that, but we really do have the answer. And it's Christ. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that has changed our lives. A few uh, years ago, Vance preached a sermon. I wasn't even here then, but I saw it online as I was watching. He preached a sermon where he used some statistics done from a study used by Lifeway that was done by Lifeway of 1,400 adults who had never attended a church, a synagogue, a mosque. They weren't religious at all. They, they really weren't affiliated with anything. And they asked them certain questions. And here are some of the answers that they gave back. Here are the percentages off of these answers that they found. 7 out of 10, 71% of these 1,400 people who weren't religious at all said they believe Jesus makes a positive difference in a person's life. These are people who don't even believe in Jesus. Almost 8 out of 10 said they'd be willing to listen to somebody if they wanted to share what they believed about Christianity. Like your friend who doesn't know Christ, your, the friend that you want to know Christ, the, the person that's been on your heart for a while or for years or maybe for two days, they said they'd be willing to listen if you, if you want to talk about it. 22% of Americans say they never go to church, ever. I mean, that's just a statistic that's just a, a profound statistic for us that almost a quarter of our nation have no affiliation. They don't go at all. One out of, excuse me, eight out of every ten think that Christianity is more about organized religion than about loving God and loving people. That one I believe. We've kind of shown them that, right? Andy Stanley said that, that people really don't have a problem with God. They have a problem with the people of God. Nine out of ten say they have at least one close friend who's a Christian. Shame on us, right? Eight out of ten are willing to listen to somebody who wanted to talk about their Christian beliefs, like I said. And eight out of ten adults, 30 and over, said they'd enjoy an honest conversation with a friend about religious and spiritual beliefs. Listen to this. Even if they disagreed with the friend. So in light of this, I mean, let's think about it. We know that people need Christ in this city. We know that people need Christ in your circle of influence. There are people who, if Jesus decided to come today, would spend eternity separated from him. That's a fact. So how are they going to come to Christ? How is it that they will give themselves to Jesus if they don't know? Paul asked this question, too, which we're not going to cover today. 
Vance made a statement uh, a while back. It wasn't during that series that I just mentioned, but here was the statement. Every Christian met another Christian before they met Christ. Let that soak in this afternoon as you're thinking. We want people to meet Jesus, but the way they're going to meet Jesus is if they meet us. Yes. Maybe not you, but another Christian, because every Christian who came to Christ ultimately met a Christian before they met him. That's important. Isn't it awesome that God allows us to be in with the responsibility and the, the opportunity to see somebody give their life to Jesus? But yet most of us don't see that. And it's our responsibility. Oh, it's his responsibility. He allows us to get in on the responsibility, the opportunity. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you today. We're going to have to go old school. Grab your Bible. I know some of y'all don't know what that is. Grab your phone. I'm going to read 42 verses, not to scare you. One of my professors in seminary said that, um, and this is, this is always, for me, the most encouraging thing. He said that the best thing that I can do for you today is to read the Bible to you. I don't have any words that are better than this. And so, I don't apologize for reading these 42, but just listen, I'll, I'll read fast. Uh, and I'll probably want to stop along the way because it's really, really good. There's like a thousand sermons in this 42 verses, but I'm only going to do one today. I promise. All right. So look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1. We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to go through hopefully verse 42. The story, the narrative of Jesus. Is that me? Selfie. All right. No, that's pretty cool. Let me see. Just kidding. All right. John 4, 1. The Bible says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away into Galilee. Now, you got to picture this, okay? Judea's in the southern part of Israel. Galilee's in the top in the northern part. And, and there's a pretty good distance between that. And there's, there's one road that goes through there. There's several roads that go around because Jews couldn't go through that one road because that's where Samaria was. And Jews didn't have any um, association at all with Samaritans. They would rather walk the long way than go the short way. The Bible says that Jesus was going from Judea into Galilee. And look at verse 4. This is pivotal and key. He had to pass through Samaria. You see, as I think about winning someone to Christ or seeing them surrender their lives to him, I know that it comes through the testimony of us. And today I'm not asking us to think about winning hundreds of people or seeing hundreds of people come to faith in Christ because we shared or seeing 50 or even seeing 10. I want us just to focus today on one, just one. Because isn't that what Jesus did? The Bible says he had to go through. The King James Version says he must needs go through Samaria, which I think is a really cool way to say it even though... Most of us don't even really know what that means. He had to go that way. Are y'all awake? Okay. I've already put you to sleep. We're five minutes in. He had to go through Samaria. He had to, not because it's what they did, because there was something else there. And, and listen, when I think about the one, the just one, when he gets there, there's just one person there. The God of the universe the Savior of the world, the Messiah who was promised from the beginning went for one person, Mark. One. 
He had to pass through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. In other words, it was noon. It was hot. It was Las Vegas in the summer. Hot. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, which really was the best time of the day. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it, who, who, excuse me, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you where then do you get the living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water I'll give him shall never thirst. Never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, this is Tom's paraphrase. I need some of that. Give me that water, this water. So I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So he said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, Jesus said to her, You have said correctly. I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She was sharp lady. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming where... When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem where you worship the Father, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him, excuse me, must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he when, uh, when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came. Good old disciples. They were amazed. They were shocked. They were astounded that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said to him, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? They knew better than that. So the woman left her water pot. She sat it down. She left and went to the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all the things I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city, these men, and, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did they? Who, who brought him something to eat? Was there a delivery service? Was Pizza Hut? And, I mean, what What happened? Jesus said to them, my food is through the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. That's my food. 
Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of just one woman who testified. I added just one. Because that's the title of my sermon. He told me all things I've done. So listen to this. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. The impact of one. The impact of one person, the impact of your story, the impact of you telling other, somebody else what happened in your life, how Christ changed your life, how God took you from where you were and to, to what you are today. One person telling one person. You know, Jesus preached to thousands many times. When I was in seminary, I, I uh, you know, how many of you uh, went to like medical school or? Pharmacy school. Anybody do that? Some of y'all went there. You wouldn't even go to the guys you went to, to, to pharmacy school or doctor school with, would you? You wouldn't, you wouldn't trust them to give you a, a, a baby aspirin. You know them. Like, they failed lots of tests. You know it. I feel the same way about some of my pastor friends who I went to seminary with. Woo! A lot of them had big dreams, you know. They wanted to stand before thousands of people. Dr. Adrian Rogers was a, was a preacher in our, in our city there in Memphis and preached to thousands every week and had impact all over the world. And, and most of the guys that I went to seminary with, they wanted to be Dr. Rogers. Well, there's only one Bellevue. There can only be one of those guys. Somebody's got to preach to the ten that are out in a place that you've never heard of. You know, Jesus wasn't enthralled with the hundreds or the thousands. He was enthralled with the one. And we see this here. It's proven over and over again, but here we see it distinctly. He went, he had to go through Samaria. He went to that place because that's where she was. In verse 35, the Bible says, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Yet many of us maybe don't even know what a harvest is. Some of you didn't grow up in agricultural culture, if you will. I did. I grew up in that kind of society. In fact, we, uh, my grandfather planted every vegetable that you could think of. And we worked it all the time. And, oh, my goodness, there's nothing like farming. Anybody else, have you ever done that? There's not another job like that. I'm sorry, I don't know what you do. It doesn't even matter. I'm telling you, farming's hard work. Because at the end of the day, you can hoe and you can sow. If the rain doesn't come, it dies. And you don't have anything to do with it. There's a great faith in that that culture. But I can remember going to the garden and my grandmother planted lots of tomatoes and tomatoes always came in in late June and, and, and uh, early July and they would last for a couple months only and so we'd store and we'd save and my grandmother would can and put them away and all that stuff. But you could literally go out to the, to the garden. I hasten to call it a garden. It was more like a field. You could pick up one of those big beefsteak tomatoes and you could, you could wipe it off and you could literally take a bite right there in the garden. Any of you ever done that? Woo! Grocery stores have nothing on these. I'm, just, I'm sorry if you work at a grocery store. Thank you for your service. 
But I'm telling you, homegrown tomatoes are not like anything else. There's, it's a totally different vegetable. Come on. But there was a season for them. Late June, August, somewhere in there. Now, maybe not that long. When we say harvest, listen, there's a time when we are able to share the gospel. There's a time when we're able to penetrate the hearts of men. The, the gospel through us can penetrate the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls. And, and I'll be honest with you, I think we're in that time. Like you're here on purpose, not at Hope, in Las Vegas to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When we say harvest, we're talking about a time period. There's a time period. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, there's a harvest. If you'll lift up your heads and look, you'll be able to see it. Because it's obvious. The people that you work with, the people you go to school with, the people that you have relationships with in your neighborhood, the people that that, that you give your money to at a restaurant or at a a, a department store, your dry cleaner, your barista, we know y'all going there. Some of you know your barista so well, you got them a present for Christmas. They gave you one. Yet we really haven't told them the most important thing. Just one. Just one. Lift up your heads. They're white to, unto harvest. The harvest is plentiful in another part of Scripture, but the workers are few. There's a harvest to be collected, and there's a time period for that harvest. And they were in this, and I think we are too. But the, what baffles me, though, is how Jesus was able to see it perfectly, and the disciples couldn't see it at all. Right? They're in town, getting something to eat, washing their hands like 85 times, because, you know, they're with Samaritans. They come back and you, whoa. They see the woman as immoral. They see her as a woman, which in Jewish culture, you didn't talk to a woman who wasn't your wife. They missed it, but Jesus saw it. You see, I don't know, I, I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're in the narrative, there are really three different sets of characters. There's Jesus, there's the disciples, and then there's the woman. And I don't know which one of those you are, but I'll promise you you're one of the three. You're either somebody who recognizes readily, or you're somebody who is so caught up with life and how you're supposed to do it religiously that you can't see it at all like the disciples. Or maybe you're the woman who feels like an outcast and feels like God could never save you. You're trying to do all the religious stuff, but yet you're still seeking the true living water like Jesus said. Why can some people see and some not? The woman I get, but why the... Jesus' passion, his desire for and, his, and in his relationship with the Father was always revealed in his concern and love for others. You want to know why some people can see the harvest and some people can't? That. His consuming desire and passion for God hit the Father, changed his mind in some way, form, or fashion to be able to see the harvest instead of to ignore it. Listen, I know life's busy. I'm busy too. You, when you got five kids, you get busy. 
There are things to do. There are places to go. There are, there's, there's work to be done. And the disciples couldn't see it, but Jesus always saw it. Do you think he was just lazy? Absolutely not. Jesus had as much work, if not more, than anybody else. Yet he saw what this woman needed. And listen, you got the answer like Jesus had the answer. Who in your life needs him? So think about this today as we finish up and close. Just two questions I have for us today and we'll be done. The first question is this. Who's ready in the harvest? In other words, are we sensitive enough to the Spirit? Are we sensitive enough to the things of God to notice who in our life, who in our circle of influence needs the gospel? Let me just say this, just outright, Bob. Everybody needs the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. I'm saved and I need the gospel. I'm telling you, I need it. I need to... Uh, Vance's dad used to say all the time that he preaches the gospel to himself every day. We need the gospel. We need to understand the gospel. Everyone needs to be able to hear the gospel. Who, though, in your circle of influence is in the harvest? Who's ready in the harvest? I want you to see just this woman here. The Samaritan woman was. The Bible says that she came in the sixth hour, the hottest part of the day. She'd been married multiple times. She was unaccepted by the society in which she lived. They had dissociated themselves with her. She was married five times and living with a man that wasn't her husband at the moment, which was totally out of the uh, moral realm of the Jewish society. She had lots of pain in her life. She was lonely. She had a lack of real love in her life. Does that sound like anybody that you know? She had misdirected desire. She thought that men could, could fulfill what she needed. So here she was. She needed truth. She needed the gospel. She needed living water. And Jesus knew it. And he knew it before he left Judea because the Bible says he had to go through there. There was somebody that had a need and he had to get there and say it. He had to say it. He had to reach her. Is there anybody in your life that sounds like that? Listen, take out the immorality stuff if you want. I'm talking about somebody who needs God. Who that you are around, that God has put in your life, needs Christ. Think about those in Las Vegas, your families, those in your close circle of influence, your spouse. Maybe your spouse is lost. Maybe it's your parents who are lost. Maybe it's your kids who need to know Christ. Maybe it's extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, nieces, nephews. What about your job? Does your coworker need Christ? I have a sister who's, who's not in this service but was in the last service, and, and, and her desire and passion, I heard it over and over and over, was for her coworkers to come to Christ. She still talks about it today, believing that God placed her there so that the gospel could be spread. Some of you are here today because of that. I see your face. How about your boss? You know he needs Jesus. Right? You, you said that in the mirror a thousand times. Your everyday life, your schoolmate, your barista, your dry cleaner, those who wait on you, your neighbor. Who has God put you in front of? Uh, people come to me a lot and they want advice or they want counsel. And after they tell me their story, whether it's five minutes long or 55 minutes long, my... My usual question, because it's always usually about a relationship with somebody. 
And so here's what I ask. Are you a believer? And then secondly, is that person a follower of Jesus? Do you know what their answer is most of the time on the second question? I don't know. That's key, you see, because here's the deal. Maybe that relationship wouldn't be like it is if they were, or if you were, or if you both were. And what it proves is, is that you haven't shared with them the most important thing. The most important thing is not getting them or wanting to be right in the argument or the debate that you have with them. The most important thing is that they all have a relationship with Christ as you have a relationship with Christ. And maybe you're in their life so that they can hear how to have a relationship with Christ. Thank you, brother. This works better if that happens a lot. You know, I'm uh, 47 this coming September. September 2nd, by the way, if y'all want to put that in your calendar. It's a big day. 47. I know I look 27. 47. In 47 years, do you know how many times somebody shared the gospel with me who wasn't my parent, my pastor, or some spiritual teacher? One. 47 years. I started thinking about that, and here's the conclusion I came to. If I hadn't grown up in a Christian culture, in a Christian home, in a, the Christian culture of the church, does it mean I would have heard the gospel one time in my life? Once? I was bagging groceries and while I was in college making three fifty an hour. For you teenagers who think you're not getting paid. <laughs> I was taking this cart out to the lady's car and she opened her trunk and she looked at me and she said, Do you know Jesus? Yes, ma'am. Gave my life to Christ when I was 11. Well, I just want to make sure. She began to share the gospel with me, and I was like, got it. <laughs> Do you know how many people in our city have never heard? Do you know how many people in our city have heard it once? Do you know how many people come to Christ after hearing it just one time? I don't know the percentage, but I know that it's low. My parents shared the gospel. My pastors did. My and listen, over and over and over again. Is that sad for us? We had almost 4,000 people here this past Tuesday, Wednesday, which is awesome. But it really pales in comparison if you think about 2 million in the city. I'm so pumped for 4,000, don't get me wrong. But I think about the 1.8 who have no relationship with Christ, and if he comes back, we'll spend eternity separated from him. Just one. One testimony, one story. What if? What if we shared? As a follower of Jesus, can you tell who's in the harvest? Who's ready in the harvest? The second question, the last one is, am I ready for the harvest? Can we recognize with our eyes? Can we sense what God is doing for those in the harvest? Can we bring them to him? And then secondly, am I ready for it? Am I ready for it? There are two sets of people here, as I see Jesus and the disciples, who were in stark contrast for each other. In fact, Jesus was always aware of the condition of people. He was always looking to share the grace in order to proclaim truth. 
You notice how Jesus didn't go, hey, hang on, you're a woman. Hey, hang on, you're immoral. Hey, hang on, I'm not supposed to talk to you. Hey, hang on, you need the gospel. And I'm going to give so much grace here. I'm going to give you grace because you're just a person who doesn't know. And I want to tell you. And I'm not going to get bogged down in all the stuff that you say. I mean, look at all the conversation they had. The Bible says he had to go through there. Jesus was focused on getting the gospel to the people who needed it. Are we as, that, as focused as he was? You know, as a small groups pastor here, one of the things that, that concerns me a lot is that we would be more consumed with doing a really good Bible study than seeing somebody in our group come to faith in him. There are some of you that think small group is a is a place where you can go deep in the things of God, and I'm all for that. I'm for it. But if you miss the fact of there are people who need Jesus, then we've missed small group. When we get to heaven, God's not going to go, wow, that was awesome. You didn't get a seminary degree, but you really did. It's not going to matter. In fact, pastors are, well, anyway, who knows where he's going to put us. We don't, we're his children, like you are his children, and seeing other people come to faith in Christ is what we're after. Give him glory so that others don't have to spend eternity separated from him. He, had, he was focused. The Bible says he was wearied from his journey. In verse 6, Jesus' own physical weariness didn't stop him from sharing the gospel. How many times have we said, boy, I'm tired. Woo, small group tonight, uh-uh. Woo-hoo, I am dead you don't know what I've been through. Flat tire, the whole nine yards today. This is, uh-uh. Hey, bub, not going to be there. Hope the coffee's good. See you. Sunday morning, I could get that online. Jesus didn't let his weariness, his tiredness stop him from proclaiming the truth. The Bible says that Jesus looked at her and said, give me a drink. Isn't it funny that Jesus used the context of the situation that he was in as the topic of the conversation? Like, he could have gone a thousand different ways, but he said, hey, we're here at the well. Give me something to drink, because I'm about to tell you about living water, honey. He didn't say that, but. (laughs) The Bible says in verse 9, Jesus, or excuse me, that Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This word, uh, no dealings, or the word associate is a word that can mean geography or or, or place-wise, like nearness. But a lot of theologians believe that this word right here was used, not talking about geography or association with, as in relationship or friendship, but it was deeper than that. It had to do with sharing a utensil. Some of y'all are grossed out right now. When I was growing up, my grandmother had this bucket on her cabinet top, and there was water in it, fresh, cold water. And there was a dipper that hung on the wall and sometimes in the bucket. And if you wanted a drink of water, you didn't go to the refrigerator and go, (laughs) you went to the dipper, you dipped it in, and you went, you know, and you put it back. And we all did that. All of us. (laughs) Same dipper. We didn't think any, listen, Jesus looked at this woman, and he said, I know you're a Samaritan. I know you're a woman who's not my wife. You're an immoral lady. But can I put my lips where yours were? 
Jesus had a knack for breaking down all kinds of barriers to stopping the gospel. Does that explain you? Jesus had dealings with Samaritans because Samaritans needed Christ. She goes on to say, Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus here let nothing deter him from sharing the message. Have you ever been talking to somebody and they want to get you off course? Like you've been trying to share with them something and they go, hey, oh, ho, 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 ho. I was sharing one time with this man the gospel. I'm right in the middle of it, and I'm telling you, Mark, this thing is going great. I mean, like, I feel like I'm like floating above this guy, and I'm just sharing, and he's... And he stops and he goes, ho, 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 hang on, buddy. Hang on. I got a question. I said, okay, what is it? He said, what about him? And he pointed down at his dog. His D-A-W-G. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, what about him? Is he going to heaven? Here's what I'm thinking. We're talking about you. Forget about Rover for the second. Listen, I got an answer, but I'm not answering that question in this setting. Some of y'all will... Listen, listen. The question is, what about you? Jesus wasn't concerned about which... He said, there's coming a day when neither in this one or that one... Listen, that's not going to matter. What's going to matter is if you're in the faith. Jesus didn't let any kind of obstacle deter him from sharing the truth. Jesus was ready for the harvest. In verse 41, the Bible says that many more believed because of his word. Jesus knew that his testimony to her and her testimony to them would be powerful, and it would be one testimony. Mickey, it's one testimony. It's one story of how God changed your life. Most of you don't even know who won or, 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 or who was involved in winning Dr. Billy Graham to Christ. And I guarantee you nobody knows who won that guy to Christ. But I'll promise you, it was a story of a story. It was one story for one story that changed one person's life. You don't know who today people will be tomorrow. Jesus was ready. The disciples, on the other hand, they were too busy. They were too self-consumed. Even in the grace that they lived in every day, in the presence of God himself, to notice the need that the woman had. The Bible says they returned from the city. They were amazed that he'd been speaking with a woman. They were astounded. They were shocked. We don't do that. Even if she does need truth, somebody else needs to tell her because we can't. Then, then they, they asked the most bizarre question. Hey, Jesus... You hungry? You see how unfocused they were too? They were wanting to talk about anything but about this conversation that Jesus was having with this woman. They weren't ready for the harvest. They didn't recognize it. And then when they did see her, they, didn't, they weren't ready to be able to, to get in on it and be used by God. And Jesus said, lift up your heads. This week I want you to lift up your head. I want you to open your eyes wide. And I want you to ask God to show you the person that he wants you to share your story with. Lift up your heads. Look in the fields. They are white for harvest. The disciples weren't ready for the harvest. The disciples were too religious to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. 
Here's a truth I want you to leave with today as we think through this. And I'm done. Jesus was ready. The disciples weren't. The woman didn't know she was ready, but she was. But you know what is ready? The harvest. The harvest is ready. The gospel's been accomplished through Jesus. All that's missing is your story. Your story of faith in him. Vance said something last week as we were studying, getting prepared a couple weeks ago. He said, who would have ever believed that an unlikely person, the woman, in an unlikely place, Samaria, was used to begin an unbelievable movement? Because many people, according to verse 42, came to faith in him. An unlikely person in an unlikely place was used to begin an unbelievable movement. What if we could say that about here? An unlikely person, you, in an unlikely place, Lord knows, Las Vegas, that God would start an unbelievable movement right here. I'm not sure most of us believe that, but I do. I think in your head, I think in our heads, we intellectually believe it, but would God do it? Yes, he would do it. We have no excuse in Las Vegas, to be honest with you. One guy said that Las Vegas is it's like going fishing and having the fish jump in the boat. You don't even have to put your rod and reel in the water. Some of you have seen that video. That's why you're laughing. What if the fish jump in the boat? Listen, they will. All you got to do is tell them. They'll give their life to him. Think about it this way. Not if all of us, but what if only half of us? This year, just one person we shared with gave their life to Christ. Just one. Do you know that in five years, if that happened every year for five years, just half the people who attend Hope. Today, there will be probably 2,000 people here. Five years from now, it will be 17,000. Just one. Not 50, not 100, not 1,000, just one. Who would you share with last year? Who came to Christ because of the story that you told them about the gospel and about what God did? One, per, just one. What if? Some of you say, Tom, I, I'm, I'm, that kind of thing is kind of scary to me. It, you know, people think I'm crazy. They'll think I'm um, a holy roller, very religious. And really, I want to get the gospel to them, but I don't want to look bad in front of them. Listen, if sharing your faith is difficult for you, it's intimidating, it's something you don't look forward to because the response that somebody might give you, we're going to have a message put up on the website this week. Maybe it's up there today. I think Scott put it up there already. A message from Pastor Vance called The Gospel. And in that, he basically walks step by step showing you how to share your faith. And he uses four points. That your story is personal, it's simple, it's powerful, but it's certain. So I encourage you this week to go watch that. And in 2015, let's dream a dream together, okay? What if? What if? What if? I could share my story. Somebody give their life to Jesus. What if? If this year was zero, let's go for one. 